Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And you are welcome along to the latest episode of the Huddle Breakdown. Um, James here, hosting once again with N. Nicole on this nonstop and end of coal parting that's been going on with Liam scales emergence. Um, and I'm here along with, uh, my good friend, Alan Morrison, Celtic by numbers. How you doing, Alan? Yeah, very good. Yeah. You know, not, not living the, the, uh, end of scale, end uh, of skills. <laughs> not living the end of coal life. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to edit. I'm not going to edit that out later either. So it's going to stay. No. And Enda had a last minute personal issue come up, so um, he had to drop off today's episode. But uh, so you're you're stuck with Mutt and Jeff here once again. Uh, So we're here today to review, go over the Champions League game, uh, 2-0 Feyenoord uh, versus Celtic. And then we'll uh, maybe wrap up with a little bit of a a preview of uh, our our old friends at the Tony Macaroni at the early start tomorrow in, in Livingston. Uh, so yeah, let's, let, I'll, I'll just set the table here quick. Um, obviously two nil, the, uh, stats bomb XG was 1.46 versus 0.27. Um, I think most of the models seem to be pretty close. There weren't a lot of, um, controversial shots, relatively speaking. So I think they were all pre- pretty close. Um, but you know, obviously that all changed in the 65th minute. Was it, um, with with 63rd, the penalty, sixty yeah. third, okay. Yeah. Um, with with the penalty and the red cards that, that proceeded. So, uh, Alan, what what what's kind of your broad overview, and then we'll we'll dig into some of the specifics and some of the players. I mean, extreme frustration, really. Um, it feels like a, an opportunity lost. Um, not a team that on the tough showing looked to me to be. Um, of a particularly high quality. Celtic seemed comfortable in the game. I don't think our attacking play was particularly fluid, which is something we can maybe dig into a little bit more. But similarly, um, we were keeping them at arm's length and uh, restricting them to, you know, ridiculous pot shots from, from distance, really. So, you know, at half time, other than the ridiculous goal that was conceded, you you know if you take that away you you would you would be pretty happy as the away team and and as celtic and and actually at that point there are points on the table there to be taken from that match so extremely extremely frustrating but it's this sort of then you know self destruction really uh, we've seen it before um if you think about what do you not want to do don't concede in the first 15 minutes don't concede just before half time don't give away a penalty. Don't get a man sent off. And I, I haven't done this yet, but I, I wouldn't mind going back through Celtic's away matches in the Champions League and seeing how much, how many of those four scenarios that we tick off in each game. And it's probably more than one in most games, to be honest. Um, you know, so you know, I, you know, I, I wrote about this in the week. I, I don't buy into this. It, oh, it was the naivety of the young players that cost Celtic the game. I don't buy that at all. It was actually risks which we've highlighted for months manifest at the highest level. And that's what really why Celtic lost the game. Um, 
So frustrating because, as I say, in all to all intents and purposes, that first half was a very, very uh, even game. Yeah, the first thing I thought of when when we were, I was considering what to talk about today is I wanted to get this out of the way first, which was um, I think that the weather and the wind had a material impact on the game, and I haven't heard too many people discuss it. I I, um, I actually went back and looked at Rotterdam's weather for the day, and kind of the average wind speed was 20 miles per hour. Uh, so with gusts, and I was I was just you know that anecdotally watching the game i was like man the ball is really getting impacted like pretty much anything more than a meter mm. off the pitch was getting whipped around um so i i thought uh, a combination of that with two very well coached teams meaning that um i think both sides were set up in very smart ways to nullify the opponent um and the first hour reflected that. I mean, I, I think generally speaking, it was almost like, you know, two fighters uh, boxing to a draw uh, to a large part. Um, I, I think I would probably shade it a little bit to their side, um, mostly because, and again, I, I noticed this watching it live. And if you go back and look at the beginning of the second half, that was when they really came into the game. So I don't know this, but I suspect we had the wind at our back in the first half. Um, and that, you know, probably a crosswind to a degree. But I, I think that may have played a, a role in um, how really poor they were building out from the back. And, and you know, again, we deserve credit. I think uh, Rodgers and the, and the players deserve credit on um, how effectively we were pressing them. Um, uh, they, they seem to have more problems with us pressing them than vice versa. Um, but again, I, I wonder how much of that was because of what was going on with the wind. Um, the other thing I'll say, and th this is a, you know, a couple of stats that I think puts it into perspective. I, I went back and I looked it up right before we started recording. Um, now again, this is based off of Y scout data. So don't know if it's hundred percent accurate. I, I haven't audited it like you typically do these games. Um, but between O'Reilly and, Hatate, we only had four accurate passes in their half for those two players for the game. Um, O'Reilly only one. Uh, and Hatate had three, but they were pretty much, you know, kind of out wide left. Um, so that I think that speaks to outside of that issue that they had with our press and um, maybe some of the wind, we created almost nothing. Like it, it was... Mm. You know, they, they they were very effective at nullifying us. And I think they may have, you know, again, they have a well-regarded well um, manager. Um, I haven't, you know, seen Feyenoord a ton, but from what I have seen them, they've seemed to be pretty well put together. Uh, and it looks like he made a tactical decision not to go kind of blazing 100% all the time to press us high um, and be more of a mid-block and middle-press and, you know, in the grand scheme of things, it worked, meaning that we had almost nothing <laughs> uh, in build up and kind of um, controlled possession that turned into some kind of chance. I mean, it was, you know, like I said, almost everything we did threatening was off of transition from from our press. Um, so the, the, the other stat I'll share is uh, out of the first round of Champions League games. Um, so I guess it's what, 16 games uh, this week uh, we had the lowest pass obv of all teams and again i think that speaks to our and i that probably correlates with you know as we talked about your kind of pass pack passing scoring that you do um i suspect it was a pretty bad number in your metric as well because they tend to correlate with pass obv um so again i think that goes back to you know we faced a well-coached team they aren't uh world beaters but they've got a lot of young athletes, particularly in midfield. Um, and the other part, while we had a significant amount of material absences from injuries, their best two strikers were also out. <laughs> um, and I think you, and one of them looks like could be their next big sale, you know, like an, a top five league kind of striker in Jimenez. Um, so I, I also worry about this narrative that they're going to be, you know, um, uh, Relative, not not easy, but you know that 
we'll be able to go toe to toe with them when they come to Celtic Park. I, I just there's a lot of factors here that I makes me worried about that. Um, so that's that's kind of my summary on on some of the the statistical stuff that jumped out at me. And any response to any of those? Yeah. So just on that, I mean, I think first of all, I was pretty happy like you were with the way that Rogers had set the team up in terms of shape and defense. It, it really was more of a, in the possession, it tended to be more of a 4-2-3-1. Um, so whereas Postacoglu used to push O'Reilly up and when Celtic were out of possession, they became a 4-4-2, which a lot of teams do, irrespective of their attacking shape, they drop into a 4-4-2. It's a simple formation. The players understand it. It's, it's a fairly solid shape to get into um and, and o'reilly was typically the one that would push on now after maida i would argue o'reilly celtic's best counter presser and presser and, and actually from a defensive point of view he has some great sort of number six attributes in terms of his interception rate and his ability to anticipate so i think it, to me it made perfect sense to swap o'reilly and hatati around and put hatati deeper where his defense put o'reilly deeper where his defensive skills uh, could be used more effectively whereas you know we all know that that's not Hatati's strong point at all so so I'm happy to have O'Reilly closer to my own goal and Hatati further away from my own goal really is I suppose is to summarize it and I think that worked really well and I think we, we I think it was a combination like you say they were missing their two main strikers I think they tried to make do they had sort of like to me three wingers and, and they and they basically I think they were trying to, rather than have an out and out target person or central striker, they were kind of rotating and switching. Um, and Stengs would, would sometimes try and join them as well. And I don't think it really worked. I don't think they really, they got any cohesion at all up front. I mean, yeah, obviously the last 20 minutes when they're passing the ball around with ease against nine players, I'm talking about when the game actually had something in it, they were really struggling to be creative in any shape or form. And part of that, that was partly to do with their issues of selection, but I think partly to do with... Uh, how well you know Celtic had set up. I thought the the, the shape was good. I thought the, the discipline, uh, the way that we kept to shape, the defensive line was really strong. It didn't. There wasn't people again. You know, deeper than others. It kept. We kept a good line. Um, you know, we caught them offside a few times. <laughs> could be a couple of goals. Um, and to say, you know, to say what a you know the centre half pairing is, you could argue, or down to six, seven, and eight on the list of centre halves. Then uh, that, that's that's pretty admirable. Um, and as, as regards the passing, I agree. Um, I mean, between them, O'Reilly and Hatati completed six pack passes the whole game. And, and actually, Hatati had four of those and O'Reilly uh, two. So that, that's pretty abysmal, actually, in terms of what you'd normally expect. The only player to get into double figures for pack passes was uh, dear old Liam Scales. Um, you know, and again, he tended, that tended to not be sort of raking balls in the back. It tended to be just breaking that first that first line, which is admirable and, and, need, and is a job that needs to be done. And he did it, he did it very well. So, you know, that, that, that was, that was sadly lacking. I mean, Maida and Kyogo, I mean, Kyogo has been very creative in terms of he might only complete eight passes, but four of them probably take out right, loads of defenders. You know, that's the way he's been playing in recent weeks. He didn't, neither of those players had a single, um, a single pack pass, but it wasn't. I don't think it was even. Ju- it wasn't just about the lack of um, creative passing coming from the centre, because actually the stats show that from a receiving perspective, so being on the end of um, forward passes, being on the end of pack passes, um, you know, Palmer received. I think eleven. Maeda only received five, but Palmer in particular, um, it was basically. A little bit like Maeda, you know, he gets in great positions, he gets on the ball, but then what happens then? And Palmer had one of those games where, you know, he just continually turned it over pretty much every time he got it, um, which is what kind of Yang had been doing. So, you know, at the moment, early, they're, they're both new to the team. We've got to give them time to settle, got to t- time to adjust and all that. But whereas with Jota, you had, yes, you had a lot of turnovers, you had a lot of giving the ball away. But that was all mixed up with loads of creativity, loads of creative passing, lots of shots at goal, all of that all mixed up in one package. Um, so far, we're not seeing the upside from 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 you know the, the Yang Palmer side of it. And then of course we know with Maeda that um, you know we know what we get, right? And we know what we don't get. We're not going to get 
rate of passing. We're not going to get um, incisive through balls. Um, you know, his his XG is is probably more in line with you know O'Reilly's than it is with a and his XA you know is is more in line with a uh, like a defensive midfielder than a, than a winger. So I think actually what we're what we're looking into at the moment is is a is a real I wonder especially against good teams where the goals will come from because you know if you know, Kyoko is not getting obviously we know he doesn't get on the ball a lot yep um and therefore if if there's nothing coming from the wings and the midfield's nullified <laughs> where is it coming from you know what i mean so that 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 to me would, would i wouldn't have been concerned about that on 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 tuesday if the game had been like one of these cancelled out nil nils we'd have been delighted wouldn't we we'd all have been perfectly happy i have taken the positive yep. the defense the defensive solidity positives of it and said well we didn't overcommit. we didn't take a lot of risks maybe we didn't show a lot of quality either in the final third but you know what it's a point away from home i'll take it but you know when you when you've lost you have to look at that and say well you know this was this was an opportunity loss we didn't create i mean we had one great chance that tati absolutely butchered when he all he had to do was roll it to kyogo and kyogo was straight in on the goalkeeper and that was that was a that was the equivalent of a of a of an underhit back pass defensive pass back to joe hart that leaves them in the middle of nowhere it was the def- it was the offensive equivalent of that kind of error um and and that was it but there was nothing else really in terms of clear cut opportunities really so um yeah that, that that's that's kind of mixed but i think you know on the other hand we have to say that we have to take the positives you have to say that for for 45 and a half minutes 46 and a half minutes the even, even the goal right even the goal was I, I looked at it and thought that must be nearly 40 I'm worried about this at all it's way way too far out um and then you know that was the catalogue of disasters that then you know, resulted in that goal at the worst possible time and then the, like you say i think they came out the first 10 minutes of the second half much better whether that was they had the wind at their backs or met- metaphorically or actually i don't know but even then uh, up to the send up to the penalty i thought we'd weathered it i thought we'd weathered yeah. that initial 10 minute burst uh, that, that, where they clearly had been you know a bit of a rocket and came out with and played with more intensity and slung a few dangerous crosses across the box but again um that, that i thought again we dealt with it reasonably well so yeah a lot of frustration there you know but, but then once it un- unraveled it unraveled in, in an all too predictable way yeah I, I think uh the most encouraging part i took away from the game was kind of the renewed uh, optimism and confirmation of uh, what I was hoping that we'd get out of a Rogers managed team in Europe. So, you know, it, uh, as, as much as we have regard for, for Ange, uh, I could have saw us lose that game five, two, if he was managing in those conditions <laughs> and, and uh, even with those conditions, fine or having, you know, two and a half, three XG, that kind of thing, meaning that it, it would not have been as controlled and, um, you know, he would have been less uh, or, or not um, okay with a like a horribly ugly nil-nil, <laughs> which is it looked like what we were kind of angling for. Which again, I I think is is reasonable. Um, another stat I was going to share here. So th- this goes back to our friend uh, Mr. Beal, because um, it was noticeable that. Uh, uh, what's his name? Schlott or Slot? Ar- Arnie Slot um, decided to man mark uh, Cal McGregor. Shockingly, um, and that manifested. He had uh, again per Y Scout. He had 27 passes received uh, against in the in the Derby match at Ibrooks. He had 46. Um, so again, relative to you know um, the game plan that they had, it really was. Um, you know, if you're going to, if you're not going to high press really intense and let Joe Hart, let Lager Bielk and let, um, Liam scales on the ball, it makes sense that you don't allow them easy access to Cal McGregor. And, um, I, again, I think that was another smart thing that they did that, um, you know, gave us challenges as far as that, that build up um, and, and breaking through their, uh, you know, well-organized lines. Um, so let, let's get into some of the the players then and the events, unless you had any any other kind of high-level 
uh, team-wide uh, thoughts? No, just 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 to support that. I mean, the passing passing numbers were horrific, especially the midfielders. I mean, McGregor, thirty-three completed passes at eighty-seven percent, which is way below his normal accuracy. O'Reilly only twenty-two passes, seventy-six percent, and then Hitati, seventeen passes, sixty-five percent. I mean, that's just yeah, you know, yep. you're not going to control in the in the final third. In, to any, in any shape or control of midfield with those kind of numbers. Yeah. And, and again, just, just to give people an, an idea, and this is one of the reasons why I'm uh, usually relatively comfortable against Ross County is the way that Makai sets up is, is not the way I would set up if I was uh, an opposition manager. So um, McGregor had 79 received passes against Ross County in the first game um, and made 94 passes. So again, 27 received passes this week against Feyenoord and only, as you said, 37. Uh, at least that's what Scout had him as. How, how many did you have him at? Probably pretty close. 33. 33. 33. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. So, again, re- relationally, you know, about one-third of, of uh, the involvement, which, again, you know, and that's, um, that's what makes us tick is the ability for him to be on the ball and kind of direct that traffic. So. Uh, we, we, we struggled without it. Uh, so out, outside of the, the comments that we've had so far, I, I guess the elephant in the room, let's go ahead and talk about the, uh, the set piece. And um, you're, you're going to have more uh, insight on that, I think, from a, from a, a wall building and strategy perspective. <laughs> and, and then I can well, touch on uh, some of the, yeah, some of the it's statistics. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's the classic, I've talked about it many times, it's the, you know, do three things wrong and, and you know, something bad normally happens. So, you know, the free kick was pretty soft, okay, but it's a long way from goal. Um, you know, O'Reilly's probably thinking we're nearly at half time. we're not going to let this guy run through. So that's fine. Um, but yeah, I think it was Martin O'Neill, certainly in, the, in, our, in our, our coverage, or the coverage I was watching, Martin O'Neill um, said, look, you know, when you set up a wall, you want the inside player, i.e., the player on the inside of the wall, closest uh, closest to the centre of the goal. You, you put your biggest unit basically in there. You don't put your smallest guy in there. So that that's that's a I, I put that down to kind of what I called on on field leadership. To me, that's a Joe Hart, Callum McGregor type decision. You know, to be organised in that moment and to do the right thing and the sort of leaders in the team to sort that out. Um, so that's number one. Number two, then obviously, you know, Kyogo turns his back uh, and, and actually misses, the, and the ball goes past him. So he's, he's kind of that 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 leaves a problem because that's the kind of side of the goal that Joe Hart stood slightly to to the other side. And then there's Hart himself. I mean, if you look at the kick, it's a long, long way out. You know, yes, it was a windy night. Yes, the ground was wet, and the ball bounced. And it's difficult for a goalkeeper, and the ball bounces just. In front of them, it's what I think it's one of the nastiest things. But he he didn't. Sometimes what happens is a goalkeeper takes what's called a negative step. So if he anticipates the ball is going to go to his right and actually goes to his left, and he takes even a slight lean, then he's got very little chance of recovering. He didn't do that. He actually anticipated the shot was going to that side. So he took a step to the right direction, uh, which was to his left, and he got two hands on it, and he still and the ball. When he hit the turf, it was about three yards inside the post, and he still couldn't keep it out. And that's just, you know, how many goals do you see conceded like that? If if, if the guy had put it in the top corner, Nakamura special, then you say fair enough. I mean, um, that that that's that's just one of those things. That's just a brilliant piece of skill. But that, this wasn't that. Um, you know, and a younger agile goalkeeper saves that. It's as simple as that. And as much as Joe Hart, you know, saved a penalty, as much as this season he's performing about as expected in terms of post shot XG, and he's been solid so far in, in in some of the games. As much as that is all true, it is also true that you know he just isn't as agile and isn't as quick as he used to be. And the way that that manifests itself in this game in a Champions League match at nil nil with thirty seconds to go to half time is in not being able to get to like a thirty five yard free kick that should have been kept out. You live with those risks, those are the consequences. Okay. So, you know, we've talked about it till we're sick of it. Um, you know, you can't blame Joe Hart in the sense that he can't make his body move any quicker. I mean, I think technically the only thing I would say is he went with two hands like that. Um, so 
And I'm thinking, well, if you go with one hand, you can probably, I think you can reach further. Watch out. I'm not going to You're going to pull, you're gonna pull not, a muscle, I'm, yeah, but calm down. Then. I know, I know. <laughs> uh, I've been to the um, which actually means I'm really stiff. So, um, yeah, I'd have thought, and I'm not a goalkeeping coach, that, that that would be a better way. But, I mean, Joe Hart's a vastly more experienced goalkeeper than I am. Anyway, that that was that. So, to me, that's just a freaking disaster, right? And and the timing of it is just is just shocking in terms of a minute before half time where you've you've actually arguably been, been slightly the better side in that half. Yep. Um, so, yeah, it, it, it was just... But, you know, again, it comes back to we talk about these risks... You know, against Dundee, it doesn't matter. Probably doesn't matter. Even away at Hearts, probably get away with it most of the time, 80% of the time at least. Nothing bad will happen. But at Champions League level, guess what? It will. It will almost inevitably happen that there'll be that moment where that 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 lack of agility and, and that lack of, of, of speed because just because of age decline will have an impact. And there, there it was. And it was a key moment in the game. Yeah, I, I, if I was, if I'm going to assign my scores on the fault list, there, um, I fault um, to your point on the leadership side. I mean, I, I'd be more critical of Hart relative to the wall than um, you know him, him having a tough time with that shot. I mean, that that's less than ideal. You know, certainly not happy about it. But um, to me, the inexcusable part is the fact that the wall was handled the way it was. Uh, kind of an unforced error kind of thing. And then I, I think the I think the foul is a really silly one. I, I think um yes, it's not that close to the goal, but it's just kind of needless. I did I I we weren't in such a skeltered state that we that that it was a, a cynical smart foul. You know what I mean? Like it was more like almost like a tired foul. Um as opposed to I I, th- I thought the guy had got in front of O'Reilly, O'Reilly, O'Reilly wasn't goal side. So I thought that it kind of had to be done in a sense. Okay. Yeah. You can argue I why that happened, our, but yeah. Right. I felt our structure was okay behind it, though, I guess. And because he was that far yeah, away from the goal, yeah, yeah. That, that's kind of what I meant. It's, it's not like I, you know, he was going to beat him and then, you know, lead directly to a high quality chance. Um, but yeah, it, it, it's just, you know, to your point, uh, going back through past Celtic, um, performances in Europe and I mean it really is just one of the box it's 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 a lifestyle <laughs> um so these, these kind of things just seem to happen um and and I, I think that's the galling part is the the unforced nature of it I mean even even the litany of early game goals that we've conceded over the years you know I you know sometimes it's just um misfortune you know the randomness the sequencing I think some of it is um the 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 transition in pace of the play going up that notch against much higher quality opponents can just take a, a little bit for the players to reorient so that all to me you know as much as it's horrible um it, at least i get it this this kind of stuff is just like you know it's really really maddening um well so let, let, let's get to um the second half then because i grab you know overall you know it's it's like my uh, my diet x um, beer and pizza. I'd, I'd look like Brad Pitt. Um, so, you know, X, that horrible sequence, the first half was really good. Um, but from the rubbish. Yeah. Yeah. Apart apart from that really terrible couple of minutes. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I I think the, the, the second half, um, I, I would agree with you that it, we shaded it probably, uh, in the first half, excluding that, um, free kick. And then this is where I think for the most part, even before um, the penalty, I think they pretty much took over the game from there. Um, and it was still, you know, we were still giving them structural problems. And I think their deficiencies at the striker position in the forward line. And th- this is actually something that was in their data profile when I looked at them, uh, w- when the group was announced, um, is that th- decision-making is not their strength. You know, if you kind of look at their XG per shot domestically the last couple of seasons, they don't, you know, it's not like they're ripping people apart and constantly getting really high quality chances. Um, They're more of a quantity over quality type of uh, attack. Um, And that, you know, I I think that was all displayed um, even in the second half when they took took over the game a little better. Um, 
So what, what... I mean, it did, yeah, I, I, I agree, but it, it didn't translate into into chances. I mean, in the first yeah. up to the penalty, um, they actually only had one shot at goal, and that was one that was easily easily blocked from a it was a poor shot decision, easily blocked by Scales. So for all that they were pain crosses across the box, they weren't really making anything of it to be honest with you you know so yeah there, you know there is there is that i agree that the pace a little bit but it, it was fizzling out i would suggest i agree and, and again i think that's a testament to not only the coaching that we had but also you know the efforts that johnston put in scales i mean uh, even you know um uh, somebody like taylor i i think was okay you know within the structure of the system um not you know, not uh, not a huge highlight at all, but you know, the, the, other than the when we got to the 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 penalty with Lagerbilk, you know, they they weren't rolling our center backs with frequency. Like he, based off of this level of an opponent, I, I had a lot more fear. Now, some of it was the timing with the offsides, and you know, again, the conditions probably with the wind, with some of those balls over the top being more of a struggle in placing them, but. Um, yeah, I, I think it was just a really great team effort, um, with a well-organized side. And, um, to me, that was kind of the story of the second half, uh, which was, you know, how well, um, well drilled we were in, in, uh, basically preventing them from getting all that much. Um, and even there's the second goal. I mean, it was you know uh given given the the competitive circumstances they still weren't ripping us apart i mean it was got a little helter skelter when we were trying to get a goal maybe late with two men down but um you know for a good chunk of being down one and then two men i, I they they weren't exactly um ripping us apart so i i think that's a a testament to um how well the game plan was and um Really, great efforts amongst the players. Yeah. So you know, again, coming back to this this narrative that took hold after the game of naivety, the the, the penalty, which although they missed it or Joe Hart saved it, um, obviously it, it irredeemably changes the game because Celtic are down to ten players. But again, if you break that goal down, where does it start? You know, Celtic are in shape. They've got McGregor and O'Reilly sat in front of the back four, the back four in a nice straight line, and Stengs picks the ball up in his own half, halfway through, into his own half, and he just blasts past McGregor. Now, you might think, well, okay, that does happen. Do you know, it doesn't happen a lot in football. Um, there was a stat a couple of years ago, a few years ago, about, oh, Virgil van Dijk, greatest defender in the world, because he's never been dribbled past. Well, do you know what? Centre backs don't get dribbled past very often, so it wasn't actually the amazing stat people thought it was. And just to hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff: shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at fifty to eighty percent less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. 
but put a bit more or a bit more um, context to that. If you look at this game, in terms of passes, so this is where you pass the ball and you take out an opponent. Celtic had forty-one of those. Feyenoord had seventy-one. It was pretty much parity until the sending off. Um, in terms of dribbling with the ball and taking out an opponent through dribbling, Celtic had eight and of these, and Feyenoord had seven. So it's not something that happens that often. And when it does happen, you're looking to really take players on um, high up the pitch. It's where your wingers come in. You're trying to get fullbacks one-on-one. You're trying to just beat a player to get a cross in or something like that or a shot. This is the middle of the pitch, right? And you don't let players blast past you in the middle of the pitch. It's, it's don't do it, right? So in, in effect, in effect, Stengs was able to receive the ball halfway inside his own half, and he nobody laid a glove on him. Nobody even got close to him. He was two yards outside Celtic's box. And and if you look at the way that um, some analysts sort of divide the pitch, so we talk about the danger zone, the danger zone being that area in front of goal inside the box. Well, there's a, a zone called, I think it's zone 17 or 14, I can't remember. A zone, 14, just, zone 14 is just outside the box. And, and what you're looking for in that zone is to not allow anyone to pass from there. They're threading a ball through from that that zone, and it connects. You're basically giving somebody the ball right in front of your goal. So I'm not. I think Stengs might have been slightly to the right of that. But the point was, he was able to progress from his own half all the way to the edge of our box without any hint of a challenge, and he was unable to tr- attempt a through ball, which was in all likelihood going to go through to Joe Hart and Lagerbielka. Doesn't need to put his arm across the player. The player doesn't need to throw himself to the ground as if he's had his head taken off with a machete. And the referee doesn't need to exercise, you know, double jeopardy in that instance. But but it all started because Stengs just blasted past McGregor. And again, what have we talked about time and time and time again? You know, does McGregor blast past Stengs in halfway? No, he gets clattered. He might get fouled, but he, or he doesn't get past him, right? You know, Timber, Stengs, um, Weifer, uh, Weifer, he's pronounced it Weifer. They're all around six foot. They're all fast, athletic young guys, right? This is what we're talking about. This is the profile of the midfield that a lot of these teams have got. And this is probably the worst team in the group, that, apart from Celtic, that we've just played. So wait till you see Lazio and, uh, and Atletico Madrid, right? So this is what we talk about. So for me, you know, again, no harm to Cal McGregor. He's not got the pace. He's not got the physique. Five foot eight, 30 years old. He's probably lost a yard of pace, I would argue. And the six foot one, six foot two, athletic, fast, young guy, just blasts past him. And, and from that moment, Celtic are in real, real trouble. Now, you can argue it's naivety by Lagerbielka, but I would argue any coach in the world is looking at that and going, how the hell did we allow that to happen? How the hell did we allow that, that situation to develop where a guy gets into that zone outside the box and no one's laid a glove on him? From, from being, from being in, in all other respects, well set up at that point. Yep. It wasn't a killer through ball to Stengs. No. It wasn't in the left back position, finding him wide out right and taking out the whole of the Celtic midfield. It wasn't that. He just blasted past. So yeah, it, this is, and again, this is what we've talked about over and over again. This is the deficit that Celtic, this is the risk that Celtic carry into these games because they've chosen not to address this issue. Yeah, and it's um this this is a, an example, I think, of when uh we talk about benchmarking and the ability of of um things to scale to Europe. So when, when, you know, players that are playing at Celtic and that are, you know, um, significant players, I mean, there's ample amounts of evidence to benchmark um, when they're average or below average in certain things at a Scottish Premier League level, that to me screams, watch out when you get into Europe. <laughs> um, heart shot stopping has been that the last couple of seasons. That's why I've been more concerned actually about him and it's been deteriorating because he's getting older. I think we saw that manifest to a degree. Um, and, and I'm, you know, I think that'll be a worry throughout the group. Uh, but McGregor's so there, um, uh, again, stats bomb has a specific metric for successful dribbles defended. Um, and he's been consistently below, um, kind of benchmark average, uh, playing in Scotland for Celtic. Uh, now, some of that earlier in his career, I think, was um, like in 1819 because he was playing forward more. And just generally, you know, if you're a, a number 10, 
the, the transitions are quicker. They're not in front of you. You know what I mean? It's different defending a dribbler from that position than someone's playing a, a deeper um, uh, defensive midfield role. Um, but even under Ange um, in 21 and 22 and then last season, I mean, it, it was uh, last season he was in the 32nd percentile and um, only basically was only successful in 34% of his uh, dribbles defended in in league games last season. So to me, that's an example of you know it doesn't mean he's a bad player. It doesn't you know what I mean? Like there's strengths and weaknesses, and that's an example of a, a pretty obvious weakness that manifested in a vulnerability. And then you know back to your rule of uh, three. Um, and I, again, I it, it's unfortunate, um, but to me that was and I it was I think an experience issue to a degree. Um, but we, I talked about this when we signed Lagerbilk, meaning that he was going to go, probably going to go through a significant period of adjustment, not only because of the level, but style of play um, and the way that he defended uh, at his prior club up until this point, still a young guy. I mean, it's just a different animal um, completely. So I, I have a lot of empathy for him. Um, and I didn't think it was that bad. I mean, it's not like he just drugged the guy down like he. He clearly got beat. If he'd thrown, a, if he'd thrown an elbow at him, fine. Right. But he, right. I mean, if, I can, I can guarantee you, you'll see twenty times a game, if a striker breaks into a box, the, the centre half will put his arm, around, you know, on his chest, right? And that's it, right? I thought sometimes if you're a smaller, yep. if you if, you, if you're a smaller guy, you might make a little bit of contact around the neck area, which maybe maybe what happened, and then. But again, if you're looking at the replay, you're sort of thinking, hang on, referee, referees, VAR referees are very sensitive to. You know, players overreacting and making something out of out of something. So I, I just felt it was a, it was a, you know, and for it to be a double whammy of the of a red card as well as a, a penalty, it was just horrendous. I mean, you know, I, the refereeing was a little bit. You know, I have to say, in the first half, I mean, I didn't really, I didn't really react to it much at the time. But three or four minutes into the game, when Maeda gets taken out trying to cross the ball, you know, it, it looks like a typical Maeda cross where it bounces off one foot and then. Who's in theater? You actually watch it. The guy just goes straight through him. Could have just been a final. It takes yeah. nothing of the ball, and you sort of think, well, that's maybe a foul. <laughs> Therefore, it's a penalty. And then you know, at the free kick, you're not supposed to be within a meter of the wall, and they had two guys in Celtic's wall messing them about. You sort of think, well, what, you know, does that rule not apply? Or so, but you know, this is this, these things you can't account for. You know, I think Lagerbiel could put himself in a position. I think with Lagerbach, he's very similar to Starfield in many ways, I think. And I, this is why I felt empathy, like you. I felt, a lot of, I felt sorry for him because he's got this habit of drawing attention to himself by doing rather rash things. And Starfield was very similar. Starfield got thrown into the team. He made a lot of high-profile errors. He did a lot of good things, but he also made a lot of mistakes. Lagerbielk has had a very similar start. He's done some very good things. He's, he's been incredibly solid on occasions, and he's done some really bad things as well. And it, and it all, I think this will feed a narrative of always oh, a bomb scare type of thing. And I think, you know, I think that's really unfortunate. So I think, you know, like, like Starfall, you just need to give the guy time to, to settle down. Hopefully, and hopefully he will. Um, and, and yes, there is an element of, did he really need to be as forceful as he was? Was it really necessary? And I come back to, he kind of drew attention to himself by doing that in a situation that he didn't need to. So, you know, that that's definitely a learning and then you know the home challenge is 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 you know unforgivable in terms of the lack of professionalism in it. Um, and again, a young guy who again looks very promising. It's a learning, but they see this is it. You see, so you know we all say, well, when we signed Jota and Carter Vickers, nobody knew how they were going to perform in the Champions League, and this is our strategy. And I completely agree with that. <clears throat> we don't know. We simply don't know, right? We don't know if Palmer's going to be as good as Jota in time. We don't know. Uh, if home yeah. is going to be as good as Hitati in time, we don't know those things, and therefore this is the this is the gamble, if you like, that we're taking. Um, you know, which is why I come back to this more balanced approach of saying, yeah, have have your home signing and your Yang signing and your Lagabiaka signing, but also have the guy that's going to you, you. You do know, <laughs> you do know that when you pitch him into that Champions League game, you're probably going to get a solid performance from. And well, I just I... haven't had that. That yes, I, I I see that as a bit of a not what you said, but what the narrative about um, Carter Vickers and Jota um, is a bit of a straw man, meaning that um, you know even Palma. I mean, 
Jota was widely regarded and well-known as one of the best young prospects at Benfica, right? It seems like he kind of didn't develop enough. Uh, I, I, I've argued in the past probably because of his lack of pace. Um, but he, he had a reputation and a profile within the game of, of, you know, the industry, let's say. I mean, not your average fan or supporter, but um, that pedigree. And, and Carter Vickers played multiple seasons in a very difficult, challenging league. Um, and had been bought by, you know, one of the bigger clubs in England. So to me, that is complete. Those, both of those profiles, let alone the amount that was spent on them, it dwarfs any of these other guys. Like it's just to me, it's apples. I agree. I agree. It, yeah, it, hmm. it's apples and oranges. Um, so the idea that, a, and I, this is why I've been, you know, very um, hesitant to criticize a lot of these guys, is because I just don't think they profile. Like, I, I don't think it's reasonable to expect them to come in and compete at a level um, that, you know, I mean, Rogers, by all accounts, is a good developer of talent, but he's not a freaking music, uh, a magician. <laughs> you know what I mean? He's, he's not going to um, magically, magically convert home from what he has been into a world beater. Um, and I actually, he's probably the one, and again, we don't, there, there could be some uh, um, issues on makeup there, which wouldn't be surprising. I mean, he seems to be have, play with an edge, shall we say, um, which can be good, but it's got to be harnessed. And that's part of the maturation process. But, um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty optimistic on him. But yeah, I mean, it, it, I, that's why I'm not, I'm not looking for Yang to be a, a world beater. I mean, if we get Palma and him to be productive you know, squad players, that to me would be a success. You know, they're not going to be Jota. They're not going to be Carter Vickers. They just don't, it's very unlikely given kind of the slot of where they're coming from and what they've displayed so far in their town. And there's always outliers. There's always late bloomers. There's always, you know, people that all of a sudden, you know, so we're talking. Liam talking <laughs> exactly. Right. Uh, <laughs> um, that, you know, defy the odds. Uh, and I'm, I'm certainly referring to probabilistically, but yeah, I, I just, and, and even we saw it again this week. I mean, Rogers is not being um, coy about any of this now. I mean, he's, he's pretty clearly stating that the window was not um, up to what it needed to be. Um, so I, I just think it's, it, it, it's understandable why um, people in the support kind of go off half cocked and it's very frustrating. We certainly share in that, but I think for a lot of these guys, it's just unrealistic to expect them to, you know, all of a sudden come in and, and be um, of a level. So let, let, let's, uh, let's address the other elephant in the room um, with, with our friend Rio Hitate. Um, I, I, I thought actually some of the response was unfair and that's as someone who's been skeptical about his ability to perform at this level. Um you know, I, I think saw quite a bit of people, um, you know, questioning his professionalism. He's downing tools. He wanted to get away for, over the summer, which some of that might be true. I mean, it's who knows. Um, but I, I posted some stats and looked at. I mean, it did not look to me as if it was an effort issue. I mean, the guy's just coming off of an injury. Um, the idea of him turning the ball over a lot, like that, didn't magically just appear. I mean, that's been a core part of what we've stated is is um, part of our concern, particularly at that level, um, in, in kind of conceding chances to the opposition. Um, so to me, it looked like, uh, kind of a standard Rio Atate performance coming off of an injury. I mean, that, that's the context. And I, I, I don't, um, you know, his decision-making around the box can be hit or miss like that. This is, this is what I've said in his data profile is that for someone who's so talented, it hasn't manifested in like, you know, crazy chance creation for on average, like there's, there's the one, the ones that stand out and it's like, Holy cow, I can't believe he did that. The magical ones, but on average over time, he just hasn't been that creative um, or had great decision-making in, in, in taking shots. Um, so, you know, I, I, I thought the effort was there. I just think it was him playing the way he usually plays. I, I agree 100%. I thought it was a, a, a relatively atypical performance. I mean, you know, 
I think I think some players suffer sometimes just because of you know maybe their their body shape or the just the way their faces. Frankly, I mean, you know, Hatati looks a bit sulky sometimes. It doesn't mean to say he's not trying. It's just the way he looks, the guy, right? That means he's not trying his heart out. And like you say, I don't. I think it's it's too easy to throw that break back just because someone's given the ball away a few, a few times to say, oh, they're not trying or they they want to they want to uh, to move or anything like that. There's no. I don't know. I, I, I think that's a bit of a stretch. I think, um, you know, it, it, like you say there was nothing. There's nothing I saw that I, I'm not. I'm not used to seeing. I, you know, when watching Rio Tati is a fairly typical performance. You know, there was some beautiful moments where he, where he's, where I think, for example, he has a massive edge over Turnbull. Let's say is his ability to take the ball in. Uh, you know, take the ball on the half turn, even with his back to goal, he can maneuver himself very quickly and start moving forward turnbull's very static he's very stiff when he whatever direction re, it's like the old neil neil lennon uh you know when, when neil lennon was asked to explain you know neil you know, I, how do you what's your sort of philosophy of the game he goes well i get the ball and then i pass it the direction that i'm facing and that's pretty <laughs> much it <laughs> that's what he did and that david turnbull's got that about him he tends you'll get the ball and he'll tend to pass the ball back the way or the, whatever direction he's facing hatati's got that this lovely low center of gravity um lovely first touch control technique that he can get himself and adjust his body and, and very quickly sprint away from a player and get himself moving forward when it doesn't work like the incident in the first half where he gave the ball away in front of you know in the center of the the pitch uh you know 40 yards from our own goal that that's a problem and, and those turnovers um are definitely part a big part of of his game as well i mean the thing that frustrates me when when you know um a lot of people sort of say, well, oh, you know, there's there's there's, there's things that Hattati does that the data just doesn't pick up. Well, I, I do challenge that because certainly on the ball, I, I, would, I would agree with you off the ball. I think there's probably movements, movements that he makes, space that he finds, which, and, and this is true of all players, by the way, all players, that, that, that won't get picked up by data, but you can infer it from things like pack passing because, again, players who receive the ball have found space. Players who receive the ball have put themselves into positions to do so and have shown the technique to control the ball once they've received it. So there are proxies for that sort of thing that are fairly accurate. As like like you, the the, the sort of the sort of um skepticism, if you want to call it that, that I've had about Hitati is that there's an at the highest in the squad, apart from Bernabe, at turning the ball over and, and actually doing so in dangerous areas. And you think, okay, well there's there's a quid pro quo here. That must mean he's taking risks so let's look at his pack passing. Let's look at his chance creation through balls. All of those things, and and no, they're 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 less than Aaron Moy. They're less than David Turnbull. They're less than Matt O'Reilly. All of those things, you know, is scoring expected scoring contribution, which is you know expected goals plus expected assists last season was 0.5. Moy was 0.6. Um, over over 0.6 actually. O'Reilly was 0.7. Turnbull's was nearly 0.8. Right, so there isn't that okay. I'll accept the turnovers and giving the ball away in horrible areas if I've got high end creativity, I've got high end passing scores, I've got high end line breaking. And when he does do it, it always tends to look amazing, <laughs> it looks absolutely brilliant. Um, and, and, it, and it can be a thing of beauty. But this is a, this is a numbers game, this is looking at trends, it's looking at all the data. Get all the passes, all the ones that didn't work, and the ones that not just cherry picking the few that were glorious. It's all of them, and then what are the averages, and what are the trends, and the, and over all the data. So you know, to me, this this it was a fairly typical kind of performance. But again, this is it's it's the concern that I have isn't real Hatati per se. It's the makeup of the midfield. It's the component parts together, and what does that mean for the team in terms of trying to put out. A Champions League midfield, and if you've got an, an, an age declining and pace declining McGregor, and then you've got a player who is frankly not as creating as much as people's perception is, and giving the ball away a lot, and Owen, Owen by the way doesn't offer a lot defensively either. Suddenly, that's a pretty weak midfield, and especially at Champions League level. So, this is this is the problem. This isn't picking on one player. It's saying how should the team set up. To best be prepared to meet the challenges of playing finer. That's always been the point of uh, these conversations that we've had. Yeah, and that's uh, my my bias so far. Um, and I actually had had a 
a number of conversations with my friend Sean Lassie's in Under Ange, and I had actually written a piece that I thought that Hitate's best position in Europe, and again, this has always been the qualification that I make relative to Hitate, is how you know how does he scale playing for Celtic in Europe? Um, was that the inverted fullback role? I mean, that to me, his his best valued skill is that vision and ability to spray passes long. Like we, we've needed that distribution from deep that we've gotten a little bit from McGregor this season. But, you know, those those balls over the top to hit Kyogo, to hit Maeda, not for a while now, but to hit Abada, you know, those kind of um, down the channel type balls, I think he can um, be very good at that. And he's shown an ability to do that. Um, and I think that the risk reward profile of those not coming off is is not as bad. But to your point, I get why somebody like Rogers wouldn't want to play him in that deeper role because of some of these mind-numbingly bad giveaways that he does, you know, also give, you know, centrally. Um, you know, the blind passes, t- t- turning, not even lo- really looking and playing a pass centrally and just hoping that you know, not even really looking to see if there's a defender there. Um, and, you know, he had one of those against, he had one of those against Dundee that I posted a picture on Twitter about. And it's like, that's a perfect example of you do that against Feyenoord and you're in, you're, yeah. you're in big trouble. Do you, do, you remember, do you remember the lad from Leicester City talked about Yuri Tillemans? Uh, and, and, yeah. and I've always got in my mind Yuri Tillemans. And he said, actually, he found a role for them as, as that sort of Yuri Tillemans, Belgian midfielder, very skillful player. Not great defensively, but he found a role for him as that sort of deep, almost like as you say, an in inverted fullback position, almost that deep kind of slightly wide playmaker. And, I, and I, the problem I think with with Hattati, probably Tielemans as well, is you you want them you want them in that role when you've got the ball, but when you've not got the ball, you want them as far away from your goal as you possibly can get, which is what Roger you know, Rogers did on the other night. He pushed him right up front. With, uh, so, but you can't do that. You can't. <laughs> that doesn't work, yeah. right? So this is all about. But again, listen, we're picking on one player. It's not that. It's not the point. It's all about finding that blend, finding the solution. Well, and that, that that's to how can Celtic have a midfield that can combat the likes of Timber Stengs, Weaver, who are not going to be anywhere near the final stage of the Champions League, but purely on 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 what technique they do have, which is above average, plus physicality, plus the pace. Yeah. That's what we're trying to compete against. And again, you know, you don't. I, I would play David Turnbull in most SPFL games because he's such a goal threat. You know, you don't care that he, he is defending. You know, the, probably the worst of any of the midfielders that we have. It doesn't matter ninety nine percent of the time, right? But in the, in the Champions League, we have to be on point. We have to have the complete package. Yeah, and I, th- this has been my quandary uh, for two seasons now. Is what do you do with McGregor? Because um, at the Champions League level, because um, you know, he's going to play and, and that, and again, it's, it's, this is not to suggest that he's not a very good player, even as he's getting a little bit older here. Um, but it's getting easier to scheme around his strengths, uh, to neutralize him. Um, and because he doesn't have that ability to dominate physically in the defensive midfielder role, that kind of forces your hands I think at times um as like you said bringing you know the, the decision to bring O'Reilly back uh probably harmed our press a little bit but was a very reasonable decision given the reality that McGregor is going to play in that role um you you couldn't have Hatate and McGregor as the two at the base at that level probably I mean it would just be you know probably you know pretty uh pretty difficult to get away with that um we might create more chances but we also might concede five goals (laughs) um so you know it's this how do you how do you construct things and this is why again not surprising from what you had heard that one of the first you know the three things that you've repeated on on the show here that rogers stated what that he wanted was a left back a box to box and a keeper um and you know, here we are. <laughs> uh, we still don't have that kind of. And Bernardo looks promising, um, but he, he doesn't. I don't think, from what I looked at him, he doesn't have that gear. I mean, he's not in a, a physically. He's not Stang, right? He, he doesn't have that physical explosion um, at that level. And that that's, 
you know, continues to be what, what I had been hoping that we would, we would sign in midfield, but well, let's, any other final thoughts then before we have a, a brief conversation on our uh, macaroni friends? <laughs> um, no, I, as I say, I mean, I, I, there is frustration there mainly because, you know, I, I did genuinely sit down to watch the game uh, in a fairly sort of um, relaxed mood because my expectations are very low based on what we didn't do to strengthen the squad in the, in the summer, and as I say, we've talked about how those things manifest itself. But of course, you know, once you start seeing, oh, actually, we're in this game, we've got a chance. It becomes even more frustrating when, of course, the inevitable happens. But no, let's let's. I think we've flogged it. Um, so I certainly feel like I'm, I'm over it now. <laughs> well, um, I took a, a a peek at Livingston this season. Um, they've had two home matches, and I think that's probably the most important thing to start with is that they are just a different team at home. Uh, than away, and they they um, have two draws. I would argue two decent draws. They drew in the first game nil nil um, against Aberdeen, and they got a one one um, draw against St. Mirren. Uh, I think interesting interestingly in both matches um, they had more xG than the opposition, um, mo mo modestly so against against St. Mirren, but um, st still a slight edge. And and you know St. Mirren's been well managed. I mean, I think that's been a, a consensus um, that, uh, uh, that that they're well um, disciplined and, and uh, well organized. So, um, but the, by far the biggest thing with them is set pieces, um, and you know them uh, being able to do a little bit on the counter attack um, against you know teams that are going to swamp them, like us and, and Rangers, obviously uh, being the two. Uh, so any any thoughts that you've had have you, have you have you been able to look at Livingston at all this season? Not only a little bit um just to say that it, it, they've actually looked like the in terms of the SPFL it's only four is it five games in maybe yeah, four four or five games in. Five at the moment I would suggest they've probably got the the weakest attack in the whole league in terms of they've got the lowest xG, they've got the lowest um, number of passes completed in the opposition half, you know, the number of shots that they generate is, is very low as well. But on the other hand, defensively, they're pretty solid, um, not surprisingly. So, you know, I think I think that's probably good news for Celtic because obviously the back line is, is a concern uh, in terms of personnel and injuries and so forth for Celtic. So I, I didn't detect even set pieces. I think their XG from set pieces is, is yeah, actually... At, um, at home. I, I actually, look strictly at home. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. It's actually one of the yeah. lowest in the league overall, and and considerably lower than Celtics. But that's a volume thing, I guess. Yeah. It, not it's not possession adjusted. I guess is what I what I should say. Um. So yeah. Summary for me would be a, a pretty tame attack, but also actually one of the um the better. In fact, sorry, I'm just looking at it now. They've actually got the second lowest uh, average xG against, even better than Celtics. So they've actually got the second best defense and the worst attack. So, you know, and, and the other thing I would say is that unlike a lot of teams looking at Hibs in particular, um, they've just got a really, really um, stable lineup. Like their lineups barely changed game to game. They've got more or less the same personnel played every match. So they've got that continuity this season in terms of in terms of their lineups. You, you know, so listen, Celtic should be winning this game. Let's not kid ourselves, but it's. I think it's going to be a grind, right? It's going to be. They're they're going to they're going to be setting up to be very difficult to uh, to score against basically. So, and and you know Celtic's attack, I would argue, especially you know at the moment, it's it's not it's not firing really, and and in terms of the evidence from from the other night. So it could be a it could be one to another one to be very patient about. I would say so. Don't don't panic if it's nil nil at half time. Yeah, and I I've been a broken record on this, but I, I get far more concerned about um, this kind of game than I do going to Pitadri. Um, because they're, they're not going to try to be something that they're not. Um, and, uh, the, the, the big thing I will, um, be complimentary on Martindale is that he's, he's, you know, generally played us in a way that makes sense given his personnel, given the competitive situation and taking advantage of, um, th their home pitch. So yeah, I, I expect them, um, to be a Royal pain in the butt. And and we should still win reasonably comfortably, but I, I don't think it'll be without, you know, maybe some uh, patience required. Um, the other thing I will say is that, that that stood out is that they've 
they've been very intense in their defending. I don't know if some of that's because of the time of the season. Um, you know, uh, it's a relatively small sample size at, at the beginning of the season. So guys are presumably more fit and fresh, but yeah, they, they've been very kind of aggressive in the tackle, shall we say? Uh, so again, that to me, given, and that's skewed even more so when they play at home. Um, so, you know, when, when you, I, I suspect they might even press us a little bit, um, so again, I, I think generally speaking, Martindale's a fairly clever manager um, in in many ways. So I could see them trying to ambush us some, you know, dropping in deep sometimes, mixing it up a little bit, um, but being pretty physical and aggressive in their physicality. Uh, which again, sounds like F- Phillips may not be ready. Wouldn't be surprised if they don't want to risk the ankle on on that pitch. Uh, so we're 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 back with the Lager Bielk, uh scales experience again, maybe, uh, which again on this pitch, he just who knows? Like the ball bounces, and um, you know somebody like uh, Noble can be a pain in the butt in rolling se- uh, central defenders. So, yeah, I, I don't think it'll be uh, a comfortable one, but we'll we'll, we'll see. Um, any last thoughts? We'll, we're, we just went over our hour mark. Try to keep it closer to an hour. So. No, it's it's Friday night. I think I'm done. <laughs> okay, good. Well, everyone, thanks for tuning in. Um, we'll maybe be back with uh, two shows next week. We'll see how things go with Mr. Cole. Um, like and subscribe on YouTube. That helps out the channel. Um, and if you could leave a, a review on uh, iTunes or any of your uh, preferred apps that you listen to the podcast, we'd appreciate it. Um, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you next week.